Welcome to another virtual author chat at the Boys and Pen Bookstore. I'm John Charles, and today I'm delighted to have with us one of my favorite authors, Jillian Cantor, whose new book is The Fiction Writer. Before we begin today, for those tuning in, Poison Pen does have signed copies of Jillian's new book, While Supplies Last, so if you'd like one for you or for the reader in your life, give us a call at the Poison Pen or go online. We'll be happy to send one to you or hold one at the store to pick up. Now I'd like to welcome Jillian Cantor. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'm always fascinated by writers and how they got to where they were as a published author. What can you tell us about Jillian before your life as a published author? Oh, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> it was it was a long time ago. I think my first book was published in 2009. Um, so I was I was you know I was younger. <laughs> yeah, we all were. <laughs> um, but you know I. I really like, I always, I always wanted to write. I always thought that I was going to publish novels. It was definitely a bit of a struggle uh, in the beginning. Getting an agent took me a long time. Then selling the, the first book took me a long time. So, you know, I just, I would say like before I got published, um, I definitely gave up more than once. And um, sort of the one thing that I remember at this point is I was, trying to get an agent for my first novel, you know, I probably had gotten about a hundred rejections. And this was like in 2004. So they were snail mail rejections. I was pulling them out of the mailbox every day. Um, and then I had, a, I had a baby and I just thought, you know, I'm not going to do this. And I kind of put it away and I did not write or send anything out for about like 18 months, two years after my son was born. And then he started talking. And one day it occurred to me that he was going to ask me what I, what I did. And I was going to have to tell him, well, I really wanted to write novels, but I gave up and I didn't want to tell him that. So I took it out of the drawer and I was like, I'm going to do this one more time. I, I went out to a new round of agents and that was actually when I signed with my agent. Um, 2006 I think so she's still my agent today so wow. so it was a very long process to get there but then it ended up being like a really great relationship and a great match was that first book the September sisters it was yeah it was and and then even the process to get that published then took a really long time because I had written it as a novel for adults um, and it wasn't selling. And my agent said, you know, this is about a teenage girl. I think this is a young adult novel. And then she started selling, sending it out and, and then it sold in an auction as a young adult novel. So it was, it was, it was a very long journey. Let's talk about your new book, The Fiction Writer, which just came out. What can you tell us about the book? So The Fiction Writer is about, uh, a fiction writer. Sorry, my dogs. <laughs> A package. My dogs would like to talk about the book now. Um, I'm going to have to lock them out. So the fiction writer is about a fiction writer who is sort of a mid-list writer, but her last novel was a complete failure. It was a retelling of Rebecca, but it was a flop. And um, she's sort of struggling. Her agent calls her with this offer that's too good, sounds too good to be true. Turns out that it is, but she doesn't question it. Um, and it's to go to Malibu and ghostwrite a novel for this like mega sexy billionaire he wants her to write a story about his grandmother and her connection to Daphne du Maurier so she goes out there and she sort of finds herself in a little bit of a gothic mystery of her own 
Um, and it's just, it's a really, it was a really fun book to write about, you know, it's writing about a fiction writer for the first time and, and about publishing, but it's also a modern day Gothic mystery. It has a bunch of Rebecca Easter eggs in there. It's not really a retelling of Rebecca, but it has some nods to Rebecca if you're familiar with Rebecca too. Yeah. I mean, it's not like a direct line by line, but yeah. you throw in a few homages. I mean, you have your version of Mrs. Danvers in the book, which is really kind of interesting. Yes. Yes. And of course, Ash, you know, has a dead wife who may or may not have died under mysterious circumstances. So there's, there are some definite nods to Rebecca in there. When you first were thinking about this project, um, I guess my question would be, you can't really copyright an idea. Like Rebecca itself, people would say, well, she was inspired by Jane Eyre. You know, there's all these right. different stories. Writers take a germ of idea and take it in different directions. But when you were thinking about writing the fiction writer, did was there any moment where you were kind of like giving yourself a pause and thinking, is this going to get through legal at the publishers or what happens? Um, no, I I actually didn't think about that. You know, later oh. later down the line, people ask me that, but I I wasn't. My last book actually was a retelling. So, uh, Beautiful Little Fools was my last novel. That's a retelling of The Great Gatsby from the women's points of view, and the the copyright expired on The Great Gatsby. So, you know, I was able to have a lot of leeway and and really do a retelling and use the characters and and not worry about any of that. Um, Rebecca is still under copyright and I, I never intended to, to retell it. Um, so I didn't, I didn't think that there would be any problem. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that there is a problem with the, with the way that it was, no. it was done. But, um, when I started writing it, actually, it was because I had read an article in Vanity Fair and it was talking about all of Daphne du Maurier's inspirations when she wrote Rebecca and it did mention Jane Eyre like you said but then it also talked about the fact that she was actually accused of plagiarism when um, Rebecca first came out not not by one but by two authors yeah. one of them actually sued her it went to trial in New York um, Daphne du Maurier was ultimately cleared because there was no proof but I was sort of fascinated by this idea that these like two other authors came out and said that she had plagiarized. And and I was thinking like, well, you know, are there really any original stories and, and what makes any story original? And I think that's really what the fiction writer is about more than uh, being a Rebecca retelling. I think you're right, because one thing that you can't duplicate is an author's voice. That's like their fingerprint. Yeah. I mean, it's distinctive to who they are. So yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And and that definitely comes into, into the book. So it was just kind of interesting to think about the fact that like, well, there's probably only so many plots. So so what does make a story unique? And and I had no idea that Daphne du Maurier was sued for plagiarism. And so I really went down the rabbit hole of reading about that. It was kind of fascinating to just like to to think about the fact that that happened and we don't even know about it. It's she's really a fascinating character, because if I remember correctly, some people say Rebecca was inspired by some things happening in her own life. Her husband yes. was having an affair and all these other mm -hmm. things kind of bubbled up to the surface. Yeah, there were actually the article. I mean, I'm I, you could probably still find it. It was in Vanity Fair. It sort of went through all the potential inspirations for Rebecca. And they were all they were all really interesting to read. Were you always a fan? Was Rebecca one of your like favorite books? Did you always look upon it and think, wow, this is something that's really influenced me as a reader and a writer, perhaps? 
you know, I love, I always, I always did love Rebecca. I read it for the first time when I was probably like 12 or 13. My mom bought me a copy of it because it was one of her favorite books growing up. And so I vividly remember reading it and loving it. Um, but I intentionally actually did not reread it as I was writing the fiction writer, because like I said, it's not a retelling. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely some things about Daphne du Maurier in the book and some sort of like true historical tidbits, but I, I, I still actually haven't reread it. I reread it probably about five years ago, just because it's one of those books that I periodically, you know, come back to and read because I love, but I intentionally did not reread it as I was writing because I did not want it to be retelling. I just, I wanted there to be some nods in there. It's um, really a fascinating book on its own, but what I also thought was um, some people may not realize they're actually it's almost like a mini cottage industry of retellings of Rebecca. I was looking back and there's at least a dozen um, books yeah. that have been published. Her estate, Daphne Dabari's estate, authorized three official yeah. um, kind of versions of it. So it's um, an author can live on after they're long gone, I guess. And movie. I mean, there was a, a pretty yeah. recent movie on Netflix too that was a Rebecca. So um, what... I mean, was there anything about your own life? The book is about a writer, and I can mm -hmm. sense that there's some little kind of um, nods to the writing life, and I wonder if any of those came from your own experiences. You kind of used them to fuel Olivia or Liv's experience. I mean, I'm thinking in particular her reaction to re a re particular review source and things like that. Yeah. I mean, people keep asking me if I'm like Olivia as I'm doing interviews. And I keep saying, I hope that I make better choices than Olivia because <laughs> she really makes some bad choices in the book. But the publishing stuff she experiences. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, my first book was published in 2009. So I've been publishing books for 14, 15 years. So probably everything that could happen in publishing has happened to me at this this point on the good and, and the bad side. So like Olivia's editor quits and her imprint folds and her book gets ignored. And yes, that's happened to me. And she gets a very scathing Kirkus review, which has also happened to me. <laughs> and, um, you know, and but then on the flip side, it's like, well, one of her books suddenly starts selling and she gets a surprise royalty check. And that has also happened to me. So it's it, some of those little, you know, publishing tidbits just are taken from, from my own experience. But I think a lot of writers, a lot of writers experience. Um, writing is a tough business. And as you discover in the book, it's like your first book can be a success, but if your second book is a flop, you're over as a writer. How, yeah. how do you manage your career so that you don't have those great big peaks and valleys, but it's more kind of a progression. Well, I think on the publishing side, so much is out of my control. You know, I can't, I can't control like the marketing and the the publicity and even how people react to the book. And I kind of feel like all I can do is just try to write the best book that I can. So really I'm just always trying to, to write my next book. You know, it's like, I, I mean, I'm, I am promoting the fiction writer right now, but I'm finishing the edits on my next book, which will be out in 2024. And then when that's done, I'm going to start my next book in January. And it's like, that's really the only part of the process that, that I can control, I think. So that's all I can do. Um, what about your own writing process? Because I know it differs from writer to writer. Some writers are very structured. They want things set in place before they begin. Other writers wait for 
inspiration and just kind of go from there? Do you have a process when it comes to each book? Does it differ from book to book? It does differ from book to book. I mean, when I wrote Beautiful Little Fools, which was the retelling of The Great Gatsby, I had a very structured outline when I started chapter by chapter. I knew what everything was going to be, which is very unusual for me. <laughs> Usually I'm more of a pantser where I kind of know the ending, but it's like I have to figure out how to get there. Um, so I was very organized writing Beautiful Little Fools because I was pulling so much from this original source text, The Great Gatsby. And then I thought, well, this is a really good way to write a book. I should do this all the time. So I started writing The Fiction Writer and I thought, I'm going to make this very detailed outline. And then I kind of sat there for a week and thought, no, I don't know how to do that. And then I just totally just wrote the book. I pantsed it the whole way through. I didn't know how it was going to end until about halfway through the book. And then I thought, no, wait, this is how I write a book. <laughs> so I don't know that I have one standard process. Um I wish that I did. I know some writers are so organized and it's like every book is different for me. The book that I'm finishing now um, that that'll be out in 2024, I actually did have a, a little bit of an outline. It was sort of an in-between, you know, I knew, I knew mostly what was going to happen, but I didn't have every chapter outlined. And so I guess I need to strike a balance maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I in the end, you have to do what works for the book. That's essentially. The yeah, point. I think it, every book is different, I think. Um, if I understand and remember correctly, your academic background is in English and you actually have a master's in fine arts and writing. Yeah, I do. I have a, a bachelor's degree in English and an MFA in fiction writing. And I guess this question, I'm not a, a writer, so I don't understand the process, but can that help you as a writer? Can you actually, does the academic side help when it comes to writing commercially, I guess? Um, I'm sure that it can. I don't know that it helped me, <laughs> but, okay. but I'm sure in the right situation that it can. I do think being an English major in college did because I just, I read so much and, you know, over so like so many different time periods and, and so much um, different work. And so I think that that helped me in the the creative writing classes I took in college I did actually feel helped me mm. my MFA I, I don't know I I didn't I don't think I had the best MFA experience um if I had to do that again I don't I don't know that I I would do it again mm. but I feel like that's probably a, a personal thing yeah, I, I mean I don't it feels very disconnected from the publishing side you know and the MFA is very much about the craft of writing and like yeah. workshopping it and which in theory is really good I just I'm not sure I was in a place that was the best fit for for what I want to write so I left feeling really bad about my writing wow um I, maybe this is misperception on my part but it is are most MFA programs geared more towards the literary side of publishing versus commercial yeah and I was I think I was definitely writing more literary um I, I feel like my stuff in general is sort of like on the line between literary and commercial. And, and that was probably where I struggled in the MFA. <laughs> um, you've also written novels for young adults and for adults. Mm -hmm. And how does that work for you as a writer? Do you always know when you're starting a project, like you mentioned your first book, you thought it was an adult novel and right. it turned to be a why do you always think this is the, the audience, this is the market I'm going for, or does that change? Well, now I do, you know, <laughs> the, the first book I, I didn't. And to be fair, I did actually have to revise the first book a lot to, to make it a young adult book, not an adult book. Um, 
but yeah, now I do. Now I do know what I'm I'm writing before I start. And now if I'm gonna have a teenage character, it's going to be a young adult book. I I can't can't think of any of my adult books that have teenage characters. Maybe there are maybe some scenes where they're younger, but for the most part. Um, you, this also um fiction writer and your book, Beautiful Little Fools, were not the first time you played with an author and her characters. One of your young adult novels was actually mm -hmm kind of Austin inspired. Yes, the Code for Love and Heartbreak is uh, sort of an Emma retelling set in modern day high school where my Emma is um, the president of her coding club and she thinks that she can mathematically match make her classmates. Hmm. Um, do you have any plans? I mean, it can always change, but are there any more young adult novels in your future? Or does that just depend on what happens? Um, I, I don't have anything specific right now I've actually just like for fun been working on a middle grade series but yeah. I don't know if anything's gonna happen with it but um yeah I don't know I never, never I never would say never I don't have any young adult books in the works though hmm. um you have been writing now for a number of years um you've got a lot of novels under your experienced um authorship what have you discovered about publishing that surprised you what do you wish you knew when you first started out well uh, I think I wish I knew all the stuff that Olivia learns in the book that <laughs> you know so so much is so much of it is out of your control and and you know a book can fail and does not having anything to do with the book um yeah. And just, you know, to, to sort of like focus on the writing above everything else. I feel like I, I did say that when you asked me that earlier, but I think that is something that I've learned. And I used to get much more upset by sort of all the outside stuff earlier in my career. It is difficult for authors because um, books, once they leave your hands, there's so many things that can happen to them. And you look at books that are on the bestseller list, and sometimes it's just a matter of timing and luck and all yeah. the things that you can't there control. is a lot of a lot of luck involved in publishing and sometimes like some books it's just everything that can go wrong will go wrong and it's it's, it's just timing and luck and there's not that much you can do about any of that let's shift gears a little bit and talk about um Jillian as a reader you mentioned you took English classes in college mm -hmm. read a lot then what has your journey been like? I mean, are there particular books that you look back and think, wow, those like Rebecca were important to me? Do you read within certain genres? Are you all across the map? What is your reading life like? I, it's definitely different now than it was. And, you know, when I'm writing, I don't really read other than I, I will read for blurbs and stuff. And, um, you know, I try to set aside time for that. But when I'm writing, I don't really read for fun. Um, just because I find it's too confusing. I get very focused on the voice that I'm writing in and then to like put myself in a different world. Um, I can't do it. So I don't actually read as much as I used to since I've been writing so much, but I tend to read in spurts. And um, like th most of the next two weeks, I'm going to take off uh, while my kids are on break and I always read about 10 books over the winter yeah. break it's like I have a pile that's my reading time or if we if we ever go on vacation it's like I pile in the books and that's when I read and I read um 
pretty widely, you know, mo- mostly fiction. I'll read nonfiction for research. Um, I did read a few biographies about Daphne du Maurier when I was writing The Fiction Writer, for instance, but mostly fiction, you know, I'll read young adult fiction, adult fiction, mystery, romance, literary. I, I will I will read anything that is a good story that I can get invested in. Um, and actually right, <laughs> right now what I'm reading. So my next book, which is out, in about a year, in November 2024, um, is about a fictional romance novelist. It's like world famous romance novelist, and about an actress who is hired to play her in the movie of her life, and sort of learns that everything about her life is a lie. But um, I've been trying to just like read some romance novels from the era. So I'm actually reading Hollywood Ro- Wives by Jackie wow. Collins right now, and I just started it, and I was like, this is actually really good. <laughs> I'm actually really enjoying it. So I'm, I was just thinking, oh, I can't wait to get back to it tonight and see what happens. That's interesting because I think it had its anniversary this year. It was like the 40th anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, it is, it feels, it does feel a little dated for sure, but I was like, oh, I can see why people were so obsessed with this at the time. So, but, but that's kind of research, kind of, kind of reading for fun Mm -hmm. at the same time. That's interesting because I remember when it came out, I was working at the library and it was a huge hit with, we had reserves like uh-huh. for the book. I think um, you probably, you may or may not know this, but Jackie Collins, one thing about her was she was unapologetic about what she wrote. Um, yeah. Would criticize her, but she didn't care. That was what she wrote. And that's what her readers wanted. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I've read a lot about her and and just, you know, I've like, just does a little bit of research, but I thought, well, I should read some of these books. My my character is sort of in that same time period when Jackie Collins would have been writing. So that's what I'm reading. That's what I was reading last night before bed. <laughs> wow, that brings back such memories. <laughs> um, you've mentioned your next project is coming in November. Let's go back just a little bit because one of the books that came before the fiction writer was Beautiful Little Fools. Mm-hmm. And that in its way was such um a gem of a book because she really brought a different perspective to the characters in there why the great Gatsby was that a particular favorite of yours or were you just mad because F. Scott Fitzgerald got it all wrong what prompted you no I love the great Gatsby I mean the great Gatsby is the one book I would reread every year you know basically from the time I was in high school and there aren't a lot of books that I I reread that much I'm nothing that I reread that much um and just always loved The Great Gatsby and I feel like my perspective on it really changed over time you know when I read it in high school I thought it was this like tragic love story and then when I read it as an adult I realized it wasn't a love story at all and I just always wanted to know more about the women every time I read it the whole story focuses on the women like the the affairs and the murder and the glamour it's all about the women but they barely speak in the original book and we're seeing everything through the eyes of nick and so i just i always wanted to know what was going on with the women um and i think i i mentioned that to my agent at one point and we realized the copyright was about to expire and she said well now's your chance to figure out what the women are thinking And so, but it was really, I mean, just my like love and admiration for that book. And I, I did, I read the book so many times writing beautiful little fools and just like analyzing line by line and, and trying to figure out, you know, what everything really meant for these women. So it was really fun. It was, it was a, like a passion project for me, I think. Well, your enthusiasm, your admiration, it all comes through in the story, which is um, 
so great as a reader um it's a historical novel in its way mm -hmm. we've done other historical novels in the past yeah. um there was one set in world war ii about postage stamps and i can't remember the love name. letter yeah there you go yeah um, what about history fascinates you why do you sometimes go back and set your stories in the past you know i think for like a period of time, I was writing historical novels. Actually, my last six before the fiction writer were all historical. And I was really fascinated by writing about these like interesting times in history and sort of, you know, thinking about what it would have been like to have lived then and and thinking about all the lost stories from those times. Um, the fiction writer I wrote during the pandemic, and I just found that I couldn't write a historical novel at that point because we were suddenly living through this like interesting and tumultuous time and then I wanted to write something that was an escape from that you know I didn't want to be writing about this sort of like tumultuous times in the past um so yeah so I felt like I needed a little break because of what was going on in our own world but I did I wrote two two books during like the world war ii the lost letter and then in another time was set in germany during hitler's rise to power and i i mean i just thought it was fascinating to kind of revisit all that and think about think about the fact also that there were always these ordinary people living in these extraordinary times and they were just doing normal things like falling in love and playing music and trying you know trying to live and those were the kind of stories that i like to tell hmm. um well you do an excellent job with your historic so that's always a great um, option for readers. Before we have to go, are there ways readers can find out more about you and your books? Are you on social media? Do you have a website? I do have a website. It's just jillianncantor.com and social media. I'm mostly on Instagram if I'm on social media, just at jillianncantor. So very easy to find me. And if I understand correctly, you're also, time permitting, um, available for book groups. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I do um, Zooms with book clubs all the time. So yeah, I, I have actually have a little form on my website. Um, you can fill out and it sends me an email and we can schedule something. Is it challenging as a writer to be with readers when they're discussing your books? It, well, it is a little bit. And so now I always say, um, you guys start and talk first. And I'll, I'll call, I like to join at least a half an hour after they've talked so they can kind of like get everything out and figure out what they want to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a smart move. I can't believe how quickly our time has flown by. We've been very fortunate to have with us author Jillian Cantor, whose new book is The Fiction Writer. She has something coming next year, which thrills me to no end. I'd like to thank Jillian for joining us and sharing her thoughts and for everyone tuning in to another virtual authored event Thank at the Poison Pen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is great. Thank you for joining us. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them and your help would be appreciated, please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.